Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is actor Gareth John Bale. Hi Gareth, how's things? Hi Kieran, yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Good to see you, thanks for having me. Thanks for going on. We we were just talking about how things are kind of opening up and starting back up again um, after the lockdown. How good has it been for you to be back working after a bit of a lean spell that a lot yeah, of us in the industry? It's terrific, you know. Um, it's uh, it's wonderful to see theatres starting to open up again. Um, great to be able to go back into uh, the cinema and the theatre, and uh, also to have a bit of work as well, which is uh, great. It's I've missed it, you know. I've missed mm. being on stage. I've done a little bit of um, filming work, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, but I, I really have missed theatre. I, I think we all have, you know, it's that communal thing of being in an audience or in front of an audience that everyone, I think, in the industry has missed. I'm going to start with, with what I ask everyone first on this podcast. How did you first get interested in theatre? Well, um, I guess what I, I took it seriously to begin with when I was sort of 17, 18, and I was lucky enough to do the National Youth Theatre of Wales right. and also the West Glamorgan Youth Theatre. Before that, when I was a boy then, I remember going to Pontedower Leisure Centre because the art centre at the time, um, well, it was there, but it wasn't being used as a theatre. Okay. Uh, I remember that as a snooker hall. Um, but yeah, the leisure centre there was where we had production. So I remember going to see Theatre Gorllewin Morganog there with my grandmother, which was a fantastic wow. experience. Um, and also going down to the leisure centre to watch uh, the, the pantomime, which the staff of the leisure centre used to put on every year. So that's when it sort of first started. That's what I remember anyway, the early sort of days. But my, my interest in theatre, when I started to think, oh, actually, there might be something in this I might be looking at this as a career was when I was sort of 17 18 it didn't right. happen any earlier than that and you know when I was in Estlewer certainly there was a big kind of focus on the arts and that was very important to school was that important when you were in the school given Estlewer well. Yes, absolutely. We were very lucky, I think, that it, it was um, well supported and uh, we had good teachers. Um, we had a very good drama teacher, um, Laurel Davis. Um, yeah. 
and, and also, you know, we were encouraged to do uh, to take part in the Eisteddfod, so that was incredibly well supported. And uh, I remember doing some shows in the school, which I don't think had been done for a number of years. Uh, we did Bran Wen and I played Bendy Gay Drum, which was a, a when, real pleasure. When I was in year six, we came up to Oslovera to see the school. And I watched you rehearsing Branwen in the. Oh, I really? Did, I, did, I didn't know it was you, obviously, but I remember coming up to us and just have a look around. And uh-huh, we, we watched the students rehearsing Branwen. Yeah. I yeah, still well, remember yeah, that was, show. It was a first big role for me, one of the very, very few musicals that I've done. You can count them on one hand. <laughs> um, Played Bendy Guide Run, which was a real treat, um, and also played alongside Fleer Wynn, the um, the great yes. singer soprano, as um, as Bran Wynn, and she's gone on to uh, some wonderful things. Um, but also, you know, the, there was great camaraderie there. Mm. I was performing with my friends, um, so we had a great time on it. Uh, and when did you get? Was it? From Wester Morgan, you stated that you started to think that you wanted a career as an actor. Yeah, sort of. I mean, I loved Westland uh, and long may it continue and it should be supported. It's a great youth theatre. Um, but also the National Youth Theatre of Wales. And um, when I was there, um, Jamie Garvin was the artistic director and he also lectured at Welsh College and he, he was the one who put it into my mind. I hadn't really considered it before then. And he said, oh, you should do audition for Drama College. And I had to, I really had to look up what Drama College was. You know, I hadn't taken it seriously. I was very late to the party. So I sort of looked it up and thought, oh, okay, then well, I'll, I'll give this a yeah. shot. Fortunately, my parents and family were very supportive. Um, I know not everyone gets that kind of support, so I'm very grateful for it. And um, yeah, just tried for Welsh College, a few others as well, but um, absolutely loved the feeling in Welsh College and I was very pleased to get in. And what was your time there like? How much did you learn and develop when you were at drama school? It was a great time and they say they're the best years of your life, you know, when you go to university or college and um, yeah, I don't think it's far off that. Um, I had a wonderful time at college uh, meeting friends uh, that I'm still in touch with now, still play golf with, still meet up for a drink, you know, there's that side of it as well, you know, the social Mm -hmm. aspect of it. Um, But in terms of the training, you know, we were 18 in our year. And initially, I, I really didn't know what I'd let myself in for. I turned up on the first day and I looked at the timetable and I saw, you know, 40 hours. And um, I'm thinking some of my friends, you know, in Aberystwyth, Carmarthen and Bangor are doing 16 hours a week. Yeah. I thought, what am I doing here doing 40 hours? But you soon become a sort of family, and you know, because there's only 18 of you. You work together, you get a lot of attention, doing things like Alexander Technique. Um, which is all about posture and breathing and how you hold yourself, you know. And that I, that had never occurred to me, you know, uh, coming out of uh, Anismi doing the Swansea Valley, you know, I'd never heard of no. Alexander Technique and how important that was for an actor. And then the voice exercises, um, movement or dance, which I wasn't brilliant at, but, uh, you know, combat and things like that, as well as then mm. all the projects that we did. And the only thing is that they, they give you they give you a great 
base uh, and they give you the toolbox and it's only when you get out then and you start your career that you realize how much you've learned and how much more you have to learn did did you ever feel a sense of imposter syndrome at drama school or did you always think you know i deserve to be here i I'm good enough to be here, or did you think, oh, I'm a boy from the Swansea Valley, people like us don't do things like this? Um, do you know what no, I mean? I, do you know what, I didn't feel that, and I guess that was because of the people around me, um, my family back home and how well supported I was, and, um, you know, you get moments in this industry, um, and sometimes, sometimes you get great moments. And you expect someone to tap you on the shoulder and say, listen, go and get a decent job, go and get a proper yeah. job, you know, this isn't for you. Um, when you're flying high and then you get the lower moments as well when you think, what am I doing? Why do I keep putting myself through this, you know? But at college, <laughs> no, I felt, no, I deserve to be mm. here. I, I, you know, I've, I've worked hard. I, did, I didn't really, you know, know what, you know, to begin with what I was doing, but I never ever felt, oh, I don't deserve to be right. here. And I guess that was down to the strength of um, the year, the year group, um, but also uh, the, the tutors there. And I, I just had a really great time. And what was it like then coming out of drama school, trying to break into the industry? What were the challenges of like first jobs? And yeah, how, how was that for you? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I, I'm trying to think back around that time, and you you get obsessed with getting an agent, you know. Um, and I guess that's sort of almost drummed into you that the importance of getting an agent. And I look back now and I think, well, you know what? That could have happened a year down the line, or two years after that. You know, it wasn't. You just it, it's this, and it is important, but it becomes you obsess over it. You know. Yeah. Um, so I remember going to Manchester for the uh, the showcase, doing the one in Cardiff and also the one in London. And you know, you're waiting. Then you go to the bar and you go to the cafe the following day, trying to figure out, trying to get because um, you know we didn't have internet and the phones. I don't think back then. So you're trying to find a computer to see if you've had any emails and if there's any interest. And so it's all that sort yeah. of buzz to begin with. Um, you know, I got an agent that was great uh, in London. Um, and then, yeah, my first job was with Terry Hans um, wow. at Theatre Coins. So, you know, that will stay with me, the fact that I work with Terry Hans. It's on my CV forever, you know, this Terry was a, a, a tremendous director. And um, I played as cast, so I had a, a few different roles with him in his Romeo and Juliet. And just really enjoyed being in that company and learning off uh, him in particular, you know, watching him, uh, but also the other actors, because all of a sudden you come out of this bubble environment in college where everyone is roughly the same age yeah. and you're acting with people who have been doing it for 30, 40 years possibly, you know, mm. uh, actors that are far more experienced than you are, really know how to put a production on, really know what their role is, their character is, how to approach it. Um, and yeah, they're just that experience. So I, I loved it, you know, I, I did that. And don't get me wrong, at the start, there were some times where you thought, oh, you know, this is, this is going to be tough, you know. Yeah. I didn't have a car, I was in bold. I was away from my girlfriend at the time, you know. And I remember even then, 
um, in order to speak to each other, I would walk to a phone box and, and oh, phone the house, you know, um, because it was too expensive on the mobile. Um, yeah, so that was it were just different challenges, yeah. but um, I really loved it. And I, I was lucky then I got uh, a job on telly not long after that, doing High Hopes with Boyd Clack, another, you know, Boyd was a hero of mine. I, I loved yeah. Satellite 50. And I got to work with Steve Mayo and Bob Blythe and Margaret John and Kieran Self. You know, they're just these wonderful actors. And again, learned a lot, but then went through probably nine months of not working, you know. And in terms of process, like, what is your, your acting process? And have you picked up certain things from working with other actors? Is it, do you have a set process or...? Does it develop constantly? I think it always develops. I think that's the first thing to say is that it's always developing. It's all You're always learning, which is why, personally, I don't do any particular methods. I don't do it because I think it's always changing. Right. So you might take a little bit of this particular method and think that really works for me. And you might take a bit of that method. Oh, that also works. So you use it and you apply it. Um, the main thing, I think, is listening. To listen to what another actor is giving you, what other actors on stage are giving you, and how can you contribute? What can you give back to them? You know, you, you listen and you talk and you reply, and you're always alive. You never switch off, you know? Um, that's really important to me. To be creative, to never force it, um, there's no point in forcing it. You just have to be, you just have to be there and willing to accept what has been given to you. And you might have a great idea, but that's gone, and you have to let it go, and you have to go with something else. You know, and maybe you'll try the scene again. That's what I like to do. I like to be on my feet. I think you know, there's far too much time sometimes spent around the table discussing. There's a place for that. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but to me, that's like being a sports person and doing fitness right. your fitness should be your basic stuff you should come to your training session fit it shouldn't you know otherwise you're wasting time trying to get fit for me it's the same with acting you know you need to do your prep work and the table work at home you know you need to come to the the, the rehearsal room with ideas ready to be creative so that you're, ready to move in different directions. you're coming in with an understanding of the text and you're not being exactly. spoon fed by, exactly. by a director or a writing room you know your character you don't have to like find that yeah I mean you know if you're asking a director all the time well, what do you think well you clearly haven't done your work you know and when I, I work with students and I teach them and, and the big thing is you know get get as much information into you as possible. So if a director says, why have you made that choice? You can say, well, for this reason, this reason, and this reason. Well, if you can do that, directors are going to love you. They're going to say, yeah, you've done your homework. Mm. You know? But always be ready to adapt. You know, There are far too many actors, I think, that um, uh, sometimes young actors especially fall into the trap of, I want to do it this way, I have to do it this way. And no, you just have to be able to adapt. And even if you think, You've got a brilliant way of doing it. If it's not helping another actor or if it's not helping the scene, you have to let that go and change. Is it about kind of working with directors as well? Because I guess 
when you're working with tomato, you you'll have a different process than when you're working with Dana. Like, do you have to adapt when you're working with different directors? Exactly, exactly. Uh, so you have got to adapt to the director, but you have to remember as well, going back to that imposter syndrome, mm. you have to remember that you are there because they want you there. So they want you because of the skills that you bring and because of whatever physicality you bring and voice that you bring. So you have to have confidence in that, first of all. And I like working with directors where it's a back and forth. And if I ever direct, it's always a back and forth. It's never, let me tell you how to do this. You know, I think as a director, you have to have a vision of the, the whole. You have to, of course you do. But also you need to allow actors to work inside that. So if a director says to me, I want you to do this like this, I'm always a little bit, I don't know, I go back into my shell a little bit because I think you're not allowing me to be creative. If a director says, look, I need you to do this because of this, this and this, I'll go, right, great. But what if I also offer this? And if they say, brilliant, let's keep going along that Mm. line, then we're going somewhere, you know? But if there's a block, if there's someone who says no, with no reason, then I think, ah, right, okay, it's not. It's not a relationship then, you know? There there has to be that dialogue, that relationship between the actor and the director. Over over the years, you you've um, worked a lot with the player Owen Thomas, who said he was going to come on this podcast. So I'll have to chase him up at some point. Um, Definitely chase him up. <laughs> um, who wrote Grav? Um, but also, you directed his play Richard Parker. How did you first meet, and how was that creative relationship developed? Um, uh, yeah, we met many years ago now. It's probably something like 12 or 15 years ago. And uh, Owen probably tells this better than I do about how we met. But we, the way he tells it is that we were uh, paired together to do Script Slam. Right. And he wrote a wonderful short piece called The Window, which was a ghost story. And it, and it was really fantastic. And... I think this was the second stage. So in the first stage, I don't know who the director was, but they had sort of hammed it up. So it was more um, more of a comedy. And I said to him, I, I don't see this as a comedy. I see this as, as the, the, almost like the weir, you know, the play the weir. And he agreed with me and he said, that's what I wrote. Um, so we started there, but the way he tells it is that we were paired together and the writers are on one side of the room and the directors are all in the foyer of the Sherman. Yeah. And um, all the the, uh, the um, writers had been paired off and he was the last one and he said, who am I with? And uh, whoever was leading it just pointed to me and I was <laughs> at the bar with a pint wearing uh, a rugby top. <laughs> said, you're with him. And I went, went oh, here we go. Um, unfortunately, from that, we became great friends you know fantastic and like how do how do you work together do you like kind of do you offer notes on his work or like how is that right to direct a relationship well the great thing is that 
thing is mm. that from the start we've trusted each other so yeah. I've got a, a great respect for his work and, and the way he um, how he constructs things um, yeah. and I think he trusts me then um, whether I'm acting in something for him or directing so it started with Richard Parker he wrote a 20 minute piece initially for a 3D theatre company Alistair Sill and myself um, performing this play, Richard Parker, 20 minutes, and it went down so well that the company asked him to then write a second half. We then performed that over a hundred times, Richard Parker. We wow. took it to the Edinburgh Fringe, yeah. And from the Edinburgh Fringe, we uh, then took it to the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which was a bit of a dream, you know. Um, yeah. We, we met an American producer who's now a very, very good friend of ours called Mike Blaha. And um, Alistair and I had never met Mike, so. Um, Alistair and Owen met him at a mojito party, of course they did, <laughs> and um, there he is, this very tall American, wonderful man, so kind, and he's got a mojito in his hand and he says, I think Richard Parker would work really well in America, I want to bring you guys to the Hollywood Fringe Festival, wow. and of course they're relaying this all to me, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, of course, Not you know, no, it never happens, no. is it? You hear of things like that. Sure enough, the following week, he got back to America. He sent us an email saying, yeah, I want to bring you guys over. So the following year, we went out to America and um, we performed Richard Parker. And Mike was right. It did go down well there. We won the best international show. So that was great. And what? then Owen and I have worked together since then. And in terms of our relationship, obviously, we did grab together, which uh, was was fantastic with Peter Doran and the mm. Torch as well. But we also did West together with Gwenllian Higginson. And I remember the first meeting, um, we met in a bar in Cardiff and we were around the table and we read it. And at the time, Owen had written this play West, which is a love letter to Welsh Americans because it's about two Welsh people emigrating during the 19th century, doing this well-worn path really out to America to start a new life. And it was beautiful, and it was uh, like a poem, but there was no, there was almost no drama in it. He hadn't written any right. drama in it, and there was no dialogue in it. It was all just huge chunks. So in terms of giving him notes, <laughs> yeah, you know, we went, we yeah. went back and forth. I said, "How do you expect to do this? Why isn't this just a poem? Why isn't this something that people just read? Why isn't this a voiceover? Yeah. What makes you want to put it on stage?" You know, and I was throwing this all at him. And when Jeanne has since said to me that she felt really uncomfortable, she thought that we were falling out. And um, I got up and went to the toilet. And Owen turned to her and said, you see, that's why we work so well together, because we're back and forth, back and forth, yeah. and then, you know. And that's it, we trust each other. There's no, there's, we're not saying, oh, that doesn't work, your work is rubbish. Yeah. You know, we, there's none of that. We respect each other and we know what we want and eventually we talk it through and we get there, hopefully. Fantastic. And like, how did he first pitch the idea for Grav to you? Did you read it first and what, were your, what was your response when you read it the first time? It was the other way around. So right. I had the idea to do Grav. Um, yeah, I was working at the Torch Theatre and I was travelling down there with the actress Catherine Aron, who has done loads of Cloyd, you know. Um, and also at the Torch. Um, so we were working together and she said to me, every actor needs a one-person show. Just right. so that if times are hard, you can just do your one-person show. And we're driving down, down towards the Torch and we're going past sort of Kid Whaley in that area. Um, 
Senesian command, and, and I thought to myself, Ray Gravel. And I was playing Norman in the Norman Conquest, so I had this big, bushy, grey beard, which is, you know, it's more, yeah. uh, sorry, ginger beard, it's grey now. So I thought, Ray Gravel, and Peter Doran asked me then what I was going to do next, and I said to him, I've got this idea to do a one-person show about Ray Gravel, but I had no idea, you know, how to do it or whatever. And the following day, I remember Peter coming back in and saying, how are you going to do that then? You know, have you got a director? Have you got a producer? Have you got a writer? And I said, no, I haven't got any of those things. So he said, right, I'll produce it for you. I'll direct it for you. I think it's a great idea. The torch is behind it. And uh, I said, well, I know this really great writer, this, you know, who will do a a beautiful job of it. And luckily enough, I was right, you know. So um, I asked Owen. He did loads of research on Grav. We, We all did, you know. Um, and he then came up with this script, and yeah, the, you know, the first time I read it, it, it was beautiful. We needed to, to shape it, but yeah. you know, some of the stuff that he, he wrote, even in that first draft, was stunning. You know, so I knew we were onto something pretty good. And like this thing of, of playing people who actually existed, which you've done in Grav, but also playing Nine Bevan in Nine Jenny first, yet and then what? Is there an extra pressure there? Do you put in a lot of extra research than you would do when you're playing a fictional character? Yes, yeah, uh, there, there is a pressure, especially, you know, you feel it when um, you're playing someone like Ray Gravel um, because he was so loved. You know, it's one of those where you think you better not get it wrong. Um, mm. So you want to do well for him, you want to do well for his family, for his friends. I mean, he was a massive, larger-than-life Welshman, you know, so you, you don't get that wrong. So, yeah, I did put a lot of hours into that, and neither than the same. I mean, I, I saw a message the other day, a, a, an old tweet that I sent, saying that I was opening playing Nybevan on what would have been his 120th birthday. Wow. So yesterday, actually, was his 124th. Uh, so happy birthday, night. But yeah, and yeah, that's a pressure as well. You know, you're mm. opening, playing Night Bevan. That was a real, real honour. And it was something that I really wanted to do. I don't often chase jobs. But I spoke to Meg Barker, yeah. who was a friend anyway. Um, and we had a chance meeting in Narbeth on New Year's Eve. I was down there staying in... Uh, staying in a house with friends down in Narbeth for New Year's Eve, happened to walk into a pub to watch the Liverpool game, and there was Meg Barker. And we uh, we chatted, we got the usual out the way, you know, what are you doing next, what are you doing next? Yeah. And he happened to mention Nybevan, and I just thought, oh, whenever that comes up, I want to be up for it, you know. Just a just chance, yeah. just to get in the room, just to audition, you know, mm. that's all I wanted. Um, and so when it did come up, I, I told my agent, can you get me in the room with Gaynor and, and Med? And she did. And then I was recalled. And yeah, when I got that part, I remember where I was. I was down in the Swan in Little Haven um, in Pembrokeshire. I'd just been to the Torch, actually. And I was having some lunch there and I got the phone call and I was absolutely overjoyed. I had a walk on the beach and I was, I was literally punching the air as I thought, you know. But then it dawns on you that it's a huge responsibility yeah. to play, you know, one of the great politicians of the 20th century and a great Welshman. And fortunately enough, again, well supported by a terrific script, Gaynor and Nanog, 
um, Maggie there with yes. the, the dancing. Uh, and of course, Louise Collins playing uh, Jenny Lee, who was, oh, what a woman. Yeah. And, um, and Louise, you know, was, was terrific in that role as well. Did you, when you were researching these real people, do you talk to people who knew them? Do you kind of, you, you worked with, with Grav early in your career. What, what was that like? Uh, it was an absolute delight. Uh, like everyone will tell you, he was delightful and he was great company. Um, you know, he was larger than life. And, but it was always about you, never uh, about him. He would never brag. Um, I remember some boys, you know, who were playing um, extras or essays, you know, uh, during a break and they were trying to get it out to him. They knew who he was, but they wanted him to say, you know. Right. And uh, so they said, oh, you've done acting for long. And he would say, oh, yeah, I've done a fair bit, doing a fair bit of acting. And what did you do before that? And I remember him saying, oh, I used to play a little bit of rugby. <laughs> and Ali Lappin, the actor, was uh, also in it, shot out of his chair and, you know, said, ah, a bit of rugby, boys, he's a British lion, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he was just—he was that kind of guy. He was humble. Um, he was larger than life. He made it all about you. And of course, people have asked if I—if I took anything, you know, sort of remembered anything about him from that time. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of his physicality and what have you to use then as part of my research. And of course, I just wasn't—I was just enjoying being in his company. I never ever thought at that time, or well, one day I'll play Ray Gravel in a in a play, you yeah. know. So. No, I just I just really enjoyed it, uh, but yeah, you do you do a lot of research. You ask people um, on Grav. You know, we spoke to a, a lot of his colleagues uh, just to try and get that insight. Mm. Yeah, and like for my questions. What what was the difference between playing Grav on stage and in the recent screen adaptation? And yeah, how much how important was the audience and did you miss it when you did the film? Yes, I did. I mean they're they're two completely different things and I I love doing both. Uh but I did yeah, of course I miss the audience because Grav is written so well that you have barely laughs one moment and then you have complete silence. And I yeah. think there's, there's a fantastic moment in the play about halfway through the second half where Grav goes from one of the highest moments of his career to the lowest moment of his life in something like five minutes. And also in the middle of that, there's a massive belly laugh. So you've got the, the difference mm. there and you can hear the audience, you know. They're with him for that moment in his career. Then they're laughing out loud. And then you get this moment where you can just hear a pin drop. And that's great. And I know then, I know what kind of audience it is. If I've got them absolutely dead silence, where people are almost frightened to breathe or to make too much noise, you know, they don't yeah. want to cry even, and that is fantastic. So yeah, I miss that. Of course, mm. I miss that. But telling the story in a different way on film was a great experience. Working with someone like 
you know, I, I worked with Peter Doran, which was, you know, he's he's one of the best in the business when it comes to stage. So I'm, you know, very grateful to have worked with Peter and, and to call him a friend. Um, but then also, you know, to work with Mark Evans on it, I was very lucky to have those two directors. And Mark just had this great vision. He changed it. In terms of my performance, of course, I go from talking to a theatre full of people mm. to talking to a camera, which is just here, you know, so it has to be far more intimate. But I think the way that Mark wanted to tell the story, the way that Ryan, the uh, DOP, shot it, you know, it all really worked, that it was much more vulnerable, much more subtle. So I loved, it. I loved doing both, yeah. And in terms of doing it, on stage in English and the film being in Welsh. How much did that change your approach to it? Yeah, that that was a challenge as well, you know, to uh, certainly in the learning of it, because it was a big learn, and it was a big learn for the film as well. Um, and of course, if it had been in English, it would have been, really, well, it would have been easier, let's put it yeah. like that. We don't want to say it's easy, but it would have been easier because you know, those lines are in there somewhere. Mm. Um, you know, I've done it on stage over 109 times, so goodness knows how many times I've actually run those lines in terms of rehearsing and what yeah. have you. Um, but doing it in Welsh was a real treat, you know, a real honour, because that that was his first language. Mm. That's where he was most comfortable. Um, but I went back then to Emma Stevens-Johnson, who helped me with his voice to begin with, uh, years and years ago when I first started. I wanted to get the voice right. That was really important to me. Um, because, I mean, Malay the Garega and Anismi do are, what, 30 miles apart, 40 miles maybe? So it's not that far, but the, the accent is completely different, or the dialect, rather. Um, and certainly with Grav, because he did things like break his nose, so he couldn't get to the end of a sentence without taking a breath through his mouth, so right. that would influence the way he spoke. Um, and I went back to Emma then for the Welsh, because he is different in Welsh. He's far more relaxed, and you can see it. Um, in English, he's very animated. You know, the head is, is nodding, trying to get people to agree with him. Um, and the same with the hands then. And in Welsh, that all just relaxes back. The neck and the jaw relaxes. His mouth literally doesn't work as hard, so it's much, much right. smaller. Um, and the way she described it to me, which was a great image to hold on to, was that in English, if you could paint his sentences, they would be like mountains. And in Welsh, they were more like hills. You know, So that was a really wow. great thing to hang on to. Um, but it all helped. You know, the, the fact that the Welsh was smaller and more relaxed helped with the performance of it being more subtle and vulnerable. That must have affected the text, then, the translation of it. I'm guessing it wasn't a direct translation from the English to the Welsh. Well, not quite, because it was it was slightly different, you know. The, the English yeah. was set in the, uh, in the changing room, and with this one, the film, that was set in, uh, in the hospital. Mm. So it was slightly different, but... The original translation, which we used a lot of, was by um, Jim Parknest, the yes. former Archdruid. So we still had that wonderful, lyrical, um, almost flowery quality to some of the yeah. language. 
Um, but Bronwyn Kernad also helped out, who was also uh, producing, and indeed Mark um, with the screenplay. So Owen would write other scenes then, which were a bit more direct, you know, when yeah. Rav was talking to the nurse or to the doctor um, or to Myrig, his friend. Um, so I think that all married in quite well. And, and I guess it was nice to have other actors around you. Cause I guess it's oh no, Kira, Kira, I wanted all the limelight to myself. <laughs> is, it, is it quite, can it be quite isolating doing that alone on stage for an hour and 20 minutes? Uh, it's a strange one when you're on stage. The first time I did it, I was very freaked out by it because I'm used to being on stage with other people, at least one other. I've done quite a few um, two-handers, yeah. but um, before Grav, no, uh, no one-man shows. So the first time you're up there, it's a little bit strange. Um, and then you get used to it. And it's quite nice. There's quite a, there's a bit of a freedom in, in it yeah. because you can almost go at your own pace. You know, you tell your own story. And if you do get into a little bit of trouble, you have to get yourself out of it, yeah. you know. Um, so that was quite nice. But no, in all honesty, it was a real pleasure to work with the actors on, on Grav the film. Um, we had a terrific cast and they all brought something different and and wonderful to it, you know, and um, playing real life people as well. That's a challenge, but they all they all rose to it. I mean, you know, it was just um, it was a really great thing to be part of. Mm. I wonder if we could talk now about another aspect of your work, which is directing. Um, how did you first uh, want to direct? When did you first get interested in directing? Well, uh, as with a lot of these stories, it started in a pub. <laughs> and, um, I remember being in Dempsey's in Cardiff, which was um, my favourite pub in Cardiff many years ago, before I discovered others such as the Mohindi. But um, I was in Dempsey's, and there was a girl working behind the bar there called Catherine, um, and she spoke Welsh, and so we we had a chat, we had several yeah. chats. This is back in 2004, I think. So a long time ago. Um, and she had just come down from Aberystwyth University. She was there with two other um, girls, Hannah and Nia, and they're all Wyn Jones, which is amazing. They're not related, <laughs> but they're all Captain Hannah and Nia Wyn Jones. And they'd set up a, company, a, 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 a theatre company called Cumney 3D. Um, and they were doing a show called Endorphin, I remember, and rehearsing a chapter. And I was talking to Catherine about this. And I said, oh, that's great, you know. Um, and she said, oh, we don't have a director. I said, oh, right, okay, well, it doesn't matter, you know, you, you're doing your own thing. Um, but I said, you know, I, I'd happily come along and watch if you want me to. So she said, yeah, come along. So I went on one Sunday afternoon and I watched them rehearse. And... Um, and we had a chat in the bar afterwards, and they said, what do you think? And I said, well, look, I can either just give you some notes on what I've just seen, or I can direct it for you. So I offered to direct it. And I said, you know, you don't have to give me an answer or whatever. So they went away, they had a chat amongst themselves, they came back yeah. and they said, we'd like you to direct it. So I directed that for them, which was lovely. Um, and then, yeah, we became a bit of a, a partnership. They invited me into the company as a director for them. Um, I had a great time uh, learning a lot. Yeah, I was making some mistakes, you, but that's how you learn, you know. 
Um, so I really enjoyed my time with them, and we put on a lot of productions. Um, I said to them very, very early on that I didn't think that we should be going up against Script Cymru directly because Script Cymru were over the road in um, what on Market Street. Right. Um, so you know, near chapter and Script Cymru, professional company doing new language Welsh productions. So I said, we don't want to go up directly against them, so we need to try and do a bit of everything. So we then did an established Welsh play called Epa and the Parallel of Kevin by the brilliant um, and late Sean Airean, yes. um, who was a wonderful, wonderful writer. So we did that, which went down really well. Then we went back and we did a, a new a new um, piece of writing in Welsh. And then we did Abigail's Party, and, you know, this established English language yeah. play which is a fantastic play. Then we did a French farce called Don't Dress for Dinner. And then, of course, we did things like Richard Parker as part of a mini festival mm. where we had six plays going on over four nights, three in Welsh, three in English, 20 minutes, you know, so little short ones, as I say, like a mini festival. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with them. And from that, you know, I've been really well supported. Black Rat, the work that I've mm. done with them, all the comedies there, Rich Tunley, um, has, has got me to be the assistant director on on a lot of those, most of those productions, uh, which has been great. And then RCT as well have been very supportive. Uh, Angela Gould at RCT um, got me involved in the Panto, first of all, the Martin Geraint Welsh Panto, uh, also the RCT Panto, and, um, and recently we've been doing well, before COVID anyway. We were doing Welsh language productions there, so huh. the directing has sort of built and built and built, and now I've got a fantastic job in the new year at the Torch doing Carwin uh, about the life of Carwin James. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Very looking forward to seeing that. Um, but in terms of your, of your process as a director, do you think about how how you would like to be directed as an actor? Does it help? you are an actor, does it influence your director? I definitely think it helps. Um, I don't think it has to be the be-all and end-all. Uh, it just so happens that a lot of brilliant directors that I've worked with have been um, actors as well, Peter Doran and Richard Tunney being the most obvious. But then, you know, I don't remember Michael Bogdanov and, and Terry Hans. I know Terry did a little bit of acting in his early career, but more known as a director, of yeah. course. And then Alice Lacey directed Macbeth in London in Catford and she was wonderful. She came at it from a completely different angle and what she did was ask loads of great questions. So I've taken that on board. It's not yeah. about giving the answers as a director, it's getting the uh, actors to find their own answers and find their way and part of that is the journey and how you get to the answer and maybe not getting to a final answer ever. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. That's why it can be different every night. Um, but to but to know what you're doing as well. I mean, I'm not saying that it needs to be, you know, yeah. um, flimsy uh, in any way. You know, you have to know what you're doing. But um, I've taken on board all of those things. I think there's, there's two bits of advice uh, that I've taken on board as a director. One of them came from um, Graham Henry. And they're both sports, from, from sports yeah. books. So Graham Henry, the former Welsh coach, yeah. he won't have been the first to have coined this phrase, but I remember reading in his book, probably 15 years ago, The X Factor, 
And he wrote, uh, you have to create an environment in which the players can express themselves. Yeah. And you can you can move that directly, verbatim, into the rehearsal room. You have yeah. to create an environment in which the players can express themselves. You know, if you do that, you're onto a winner. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier on, where it's not a dictatorship, it's back and forth. Yeah. And you allow actors to be creative. And you give them an idea, and then they give you an idea back, you know? Um, and the other piece of advice was a book. In a book I read about Bob Paisley, the former yeah, brilliant uh, manager, and he said, um, "The older I get, the more I realise the importance of listening more and talking less." And I think that is a brilliant thing for a director mm. as well to be able to listen to your actors, listen to what they are telling you, what they want mm. from you. But of course, there's also that pressure of looking after the whole yeah. and making sure that whatever you're doing in that rehearsal room is supporting the play, supporting yeah. the writer. Yeah. So I, I love it. I, I love all those different aspects. The the fact that you you know you're you're working with a designer, often you know, a very talented designer. We've got a brilliant one, Tegan James for Carwin, for instance. So you're working with someone who's really creative yeah. there to bring that world alive, you know with a lighting designer as well. How do we move from having one set, how do we then take Carwin to somewhere else using the lighting, you know? Sound designers. I love yeah. all of that, you know, the, the different aspects <laughs> of putting it all together. Fantastic. I can't wait to see Carwin. Uh, where, when's it going? Let's talk about that then. When's it going to be? Are you touring Carwin or is it just going to be at sort no, we are touring. So we open on the 15th of February, day after Valentine's Day, uh, down uh, in the Torch. Uh, and then we will tour, I think it's mainly South Wales on this particular right. tour, but we will be touring. I'm sure uh, the tour will be on the Torch website before long. And, you know, how is this piece different to grab? What can people expect from the... He was uh, a, a very, very interesting man. Um, I think that the main things are the fact that Carwin was always alone, even in a crowd. Um, so it's it's celebrating his genius, celebrating what a great coach he was, but also looking at his life and thinking, why, why did he always feel like an outsider? Um, why could he never talk to someone maybe and is that yeah. because he was the product of his time of his of his era of where he was from um, or was it simply that he didn't feel that he could talk so there'll be those aspects to it but also definitely celebrating what a great rugby man he was and although it's at the torch and of course people will come to see Carwin on the back of Grav yeah. I want to tell this story in a different right. way and it's up to me to come up with I don't know yet, we haven't got into the rehearsal room I have some ideas but I will want to look at a different way of telling the story It's very exciting, I can't wait to see it yeah. 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 Um, Let's talk about adaptation now you adapted and directed to by Jim Cartwright into Welsh for RCT theatres. Yeah. Why did you decide to adapt that particular play? Um, first of 
all, we were looking for a play uh, to show off the skills of actors and also uh, with a small cast, and that is simply down to budget. Uh, we had done Miss Julie the year before, mm-hmm. um, which was fantastic. Uh, but in terms of two, it really gives actors the chance to flex their acting muscles. And I was fortunate enough. I, I directed it twice, so I was fortunate enough to work with Carwin Jones in both. Uh, he played the male parts in, in both those productions. And then in the first one, it was Catherine Morgan and Aileen Phillips in the second one. And they were just, just terrific. Um, and I wanted to keep it as simple as possible. We were doing one-night tours. We couldn't have a very big set. The lighting had to be very yeah. simple as well. And so what we decided to do was just have the actors in a neutral costume, so a black costume, and they would use one item, either of clothing or a prop, to change their characters. It's a play that I've looked at many times. I, I think it's wonderful. And as I say, that it gives you an opportunity as actors and a director to really show your skill yeah. and to strip everything away and to prove that sometimes what you need is really great storytelling and really great um, uh, actors who can do a lot of characterizations. Yeah. Um, all, all of that sort of work. So stripping away and, and thinking, no, we don't always need loads of costume. We don't need a very grand set that changes every two minutes with a revolve. We don't need all these lights. Mm. Sometimes it's great to have all of those. You yeah. can't you can't do a show in the West End like you know the one that that I directed. Um, but it was really great then to see the actors move seamlessly from one character to the next mm. just by changing their physicality and just with with one prop, you know. So it was a real pleasure to direct that one, and it's certainly one I would go back to. Sounds really interesting, and if you ever do decide to go back to it, I will definitely come see it. Um, yes. we, we're nearly done, but my last question is how I always finish these. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry? Well, that is a, a great question. Um, it's an obvious thing to say, I guess, but you you have to have thick skin. Uh, you have to believe in yourself. There will be days where you find it hard. Uh, you have to keep going through those days. You have to accept that those days will happen. Those days are, are not just for actors, directors, musicians, what have you. Um, they happen to everyone. Uh, but you have to accept that they happen, that you might think, oh, why am I doing this? You have to try and keep going. Try and keep a level head. I had a brilliant bit of advice from the actor who was actually playing Carwin many years ago. It was just after he'd left college and he was giving some advice to us still in college. And uh, so Simon Meehan said, uh, yeah. you, you have to be a business. You are a business. So more money has to come in than is going out. It's as simple as that. Uh, so I thought that was a great piece of advice that, that stayed with me. In terms of actors, um, my advice to young actors would be to continue to practice their skills. Um, actors are lazy right. compared to musicians, singers, and dancers especially. 
um, because they are always practicing, they are always trying to get better. Um, whereas actors, sometimes there's this attitude of, oh, well, I'm not working on anything at the moment, but I, you know, I'll turn up to the rehearsal room and I'll, I'll know my stuff. You know, I'm an actor. Yeah. Just send me the script a couple of days beforehand, darling. You know, that, that right. kind of stuff. And you can't, you know, you, no. you really can't. It's a really arrogant approach sometimes. And we've all been guilty of it. Um, for instance, I haven't performed Shakespeare in the English language. I have in Welsh recently. Well, I say recently, that was four years ago. But I haven't performed Shakespeare in English now for, I think, nine or ten years. Right. So if I was to get an audition in the coming weeks with Shakespeare, I would really have to work hard you know, to get back up to speed. It, it really isn't like ride, riding a bike. <clears throat> Some no. are better than others at it, and it does come back, but, you know, you have to put the hours in. Um, and that's what I would say, you know, just keep putting the hours in. Don't get too down. And if you can, find a part-time job that you really yeah. enjoy doing. Thank you, Gareth. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for your time this morning. Um, that's it for this episode of In Lockdown With. Um, I will be joined on the next episode of the podcast by, I think it's Michelle Payne, who is a writer and director from Essex, who's based in London. But until then, it's bye for me, and it's bye for Gareth. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.